It is good to be back to this spot where I've been coming for so many, many years that I don't even want to try to find out which the first year was. I don't know where they got the uh, picture of me that you probably got. And after I saw that, I said, well, there won't be anybody there this summer <laughs> because they'll say Havner will never make it. He won't even be there. I do have better pictures than that, I think. And I want to have a conference with the committee next time if I ever get back. But uh, I made it. I, uh, for beauty, I'm no star. There are others more handsome by far, but my face, I don't mind it, for I'm behind it. It's the people in front that are jar. I thought I wasn't going to make it. Just a few days ago, I was to have been in Moody Church the night of July 4 for a sort of a patriotic religious mass meeting and then on to Winona Lake for the week. And I got up and felt pretty good on that Sunday morning. I rarely ever take off on a trip on Sunday, but I was seized with some kind of cramps, but I got on the plane anyhow, and the further I went, the sicker I got. And when I got up there, I said to Warren Wiersbe, I can't preach. You better call a doctor, and he did. The doctor said, you better go back home and have yourself checked. So I got right back on the next plane coming down, had myself a nice $200 round trip to Chicago on the same afternoon. <laughs> now, I never have done that before. And I got nearly 200 cards and letters from Winona Lake and Moody folks that was a compensation to a great degree, some precious, precious things. And I, it helped my recovery five days in the hospital considerably to know that that many people were thinking of me. And I figured a great many more were who didn't even go to the trouble to write. I'm so happy to be here with Dear Brother Lehman and the Owens here, we were down in uh, Jacksonville in January at the Southern Baptist Evangelistic Conference singing with and preaching to an army of preachers. It's a delight to be with them again, and I'm glad that I could make it back up here because this is a favored spot, the bright spot on my itinerary every two or three years. I was here a very troubled summer in 73, and then they were kind enough to let me come back the next year, and so many friends strengthened me in my loneliness, and I've had three years of that now, and I felt like I needed another dose of Ben Lippin kindness and hospitality and love, and so I'm happy that I made it. I want to read a few verses from John, the eighth chapter. I won't get around to this for a few moments, but I want you to have it as the background of your thought. Where we read of our Lord, verse 30, 
As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I want to give my testimony tomorrow night, the Lord willing. I don't do that much, but once in a while God uses a personal testimony, I think as much as a sermon maybe. And then one night this week, I think I want to talk, give a message that God has blessed to some hearts in the last couple of years on why. There never have been so many people with whys in their lives and in their hearts. There's a day and pretty near everybody here tonight if you had time to tell it. There's at least one why that you can't figure out and you don't know yet what God was up to in the whole business and you won't know till you see him. But sometimes we get a little overburdened with our whys and we want to think about it. I don't mean that I can answer them, but we can look together at him who not only has the answer but is the answer. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we celebrated the birthday, the great birthday that we were all looking toward. And I suppose that by now what has been called the Star Spangled Bonanza has simmered down, and we've put away the decorations and taken down the banners and lowered the flags, and life has got back to subnormal and abnormal and a little of it to normal, but not much. Uh, somebody has said that birthdays tell how long you've been on the road, but they don't tell how far you've traveled. And the big question is, how far has America traveled? Where's America going, and where are we going? For we are America. I wouldn't want to paint any brighter halo around the founding fathers than they deserved. Uh, it was a mixture of the faith of the pilgrims and the philosophy of Tom Paine and Thomas Jefferson, a mixture of Christian faith and deism and Puritan austerity and the perfectibility of man. We didn't inherit an unmixed blessing, but God did overrule it. And they laid the foundations with the recognition of providence in the affairs of men. And today this country of ours stands alone in a hostile world that marvels at us and wonders how soon we will hang ourselves with our own rope. I know there's been corruption aplenty in government and the breakdown of the home and pagan education and moral putrefaction. I used to say that civilization was going to the dogs, but I stopped out of respect for dogs. Plenty of people today doing things beneath the dignity of any dog. I wouldn't want to insult the canine kingdom with any such statement anymore. And of course all Americans were not going to prayer meeting before the revolution. Let's get it straight. There was sin and corruption aplenty, but much of it was changed by the Great Awakening, that great revival that preceded the revolution. You never hear about it. You won't get a smidgen of it out of the history books. We ought to be commemorating that. But most Americans don't know that it ever happened and couldn't care less. 
Gerald Johnson, the great writer, said, What we need is not a flatterer who tells the American citizen what a wonderful fellow he is and what a wonderful thing it is to be an American. What we need is a challenger who will tell him what a difficult and dangerous thing it is to be an American, for the American doctrine was devised by brave men for brave men. Those 56 gallant souls who pledged their lives and fortunes and sacred honor to sign the Declaration of Independence knew that if it didn't work, they'd hang. Harrison of Virginia, who was a heavy man, turned to Gary of Massachusetts, who was a skinny specimen like I am, and said, Well, we may hang for it, but I'm heavy and will die instantly, but I imagine you'll dangle around for quite a while. <laughs> That's the spirit it started with. Now, they had some gentlemen then known as the Olive Branch men who thought we ought to get along with George III anyhow and anyway, peace at any price. And we still have their kind among us, like the Israelites in Exodus 14, who said we were better off under Pharaoh. We did have security. Now here we are in the wilderness, going to starve to death. Better red than dead. That's the tune today from a great many mouths over the land. Everything is... Secondary to biological survival, somebody asked a small boy some time ago, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, alive. <laughs> now, I can understand that in the atomic age. Peace at any price, better than no peace. Life at any price, better than no life. Uh, we're willing today to risk our honor to save our hides, and we maybe will end up without honor or hides if this keeps up the way it's going. We tell the world that America is a place with two chickens in every pot and two or three cars in every garage, a fairyland of plastics and gadgets and giveaway shows, and almost every other citizen with his hand stuck out toward Washington for a handout. If that's all we've got to offer, we're out of bait. And we ought to tell this world what it really means to be an American and the price that our fathers paid in blood, sweat, and tears to make this the land of the free and the home of the brave. George Washington's foot-sore soldiers did not stain the snows of Valley Forge just to create a politician's paradise. And Abe Lincoln didn't walk the floor of the White House night after night just to pass the time away. It cost plenty to purchase this freedom, and it may cost a lot more to keep it. It's no time to despise this American birthright and make light of our liberty. One good way to appreciate this country is to visit some other one and then get back and see the old Statue of Liberty one more time. We do have some gentlemen who like it better somewhere else, and they're constantly reminding us about it. Uh, but I would like to accompany that crowd sometime to New York and see them loaded on boats and wave after them as far as I could see while they go to the land of their heart's desire, if they like it better somewhere else. And I hope that we're coming to a new day. I don't know. We're living, have been the last few years, in an epidemic of mudslinging and muckraking and character assassination. We're having a field day uh, defaming both the dead and the living. Even the vultures feed only on the dead. 
every great American from Paul Revere to uh, uh, the FBI Hoover has been vilified and scandalized and it has become a disease about time we had a kind word for somebody and about time we tried to remember what was good about some of our forefathers and what is still right, thank God, in this country. I'm not going to waste my time on this smelly business of specializing in scandal. It rubs off. A bulldog can whip a skunk any time, but it's not worth it. And it all boils down to this. There will be no better America till there are better Americans, and that means we're going to have to have a better breed than many of them are. How are you going to have patriotism and honor and decency and integrity and morality and character if there's no king in Israel? And every man does not what's right but in his own eyes, but whatever he wants to do. Uh, in his last heartbroken days, Woodrow Wilson disillusioned, said, the sum of the matter is that our civilization cannot survive materially if it is not redeemed spiritually. And Douglas MacArthur said, the problem is basically theological. That's a terrific statement from a great soldier. It must be of the spirit if we're to save the flesh. I think it's significant that near the end of their careers, one of our greatest statesmen, one of our greatest soldiers, came to the agreement that the problem is basically theological. That's saying a great deal for men in those positions. I read to you a moment ago about freedom, and of course we've heard a lot about freedom the last year. Let freedom ring, and our Lord said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And there have been sermons galore in the last months about it. That is the great emancipation proclamation. That is the greatest. And it's from the lips of our Lord, but uh, I get a little uneasy when I hear sermons on that verse because it's always a mistake to take as a full text any verse that starts with the word and. Because you're not saying all that God is saying in that passage. And when you tear it out of the context and take off in the middle of it, like some people do with this verse, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. While you're just dealing there with the two abstractions, truth and freedom, and the first word in the verse is and. And so you have to move up a verse if. Ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, don't you see what an entirely different uh, light that throws on it? And fa the fact is, you ought to go still up another verse where it says, many believed on him. Now, I know that was a superficial faith, and Jesus didn't attach much importance to it any more than he did in John 2, uh, 23, 25, when many believed on him when they saw his miracles, but he did not believe in them. Same word in both verses. Not in the King James, but that's the way it reads. They believed in him with a superficial faith, but they, he didn't believe in them. Now, if you put it all together, you have this sequence. We believe, we continue in the word, we become disciples, we know the truth, 
and we are set free. Now that is the secret of freedom, but let's get all of it. And I like to call it, if, you, if alliteration will help any, freedom through faith that follows. That's the only true freedom. Uh, the New Testament has so much to say, beloved, about uh, keeping it up, continuing. You know, we've got plenty of good starters. Get off with a bang and end up in the bog. There aren't many people who know what it is to patiently continue, and my Bible's full of it. If ye continue in my words, then you have that phrase, patient continuance. And you have James 1.25, Whoso looketh at the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. And after Pentecost, what did they do? Did they just stomp their feet and hoop and holler hallelujah the rest of the time? No, they continued daily. Now, that's where we're short today, beloved. Somebody has said there is nothing more harmful to spiritual experience than too many spiritual experiences. Now, that sounds a little revolutionary when you think about it, but there's a world of truth in it. These people who are always bouncing from one mountaintop to another and living in the rarefied air of subjective experiences, they don't amount to much because they never come down the mountain where the poor father with the demonized boy needs help. They stay up there building tabernacles for Moses and Elias, and they don't know what it is to walk day by day. Paul even went to the third heaven, you know, and didn't do him much good because he couldn't tell what he saw after he got back. And God saw that he was going to get proud about it. If there had been some American today that got up to the third heaven, they'd have the thing on Technicolor. They'd have it advertised all over the country. They'd pack the auditoriums straight back from third heaven. Think about that. That beat the moon all to pieces. <laughs> and so God said to keep him from getting proud, I'm going to give him a thorn in the flesh. And that's what happened, and Paul prayed three times to be delivered, and God didn't give him subtraction, he gave him addition, gave him more grace. And when he's through with it all, he, who is sufficient for these things? My grace is sufficient for thee, I can do all things through Christ. The New Testament really doesn't say much, beloved, about fancy subjective experiences. Uh, Jesus had a lot to say about doing, doing, doing. Now, I'm not preaching the gospel of good works. I know you have heard it many times that it ought to be spelled not D-O, but D-O-N-E, because it's done once for all, and certainly of our redemption that is true. But again and again, ye are my friends, if ye do the things which I command you, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. He that doeth the will of my father and my brother and sister and mother, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and I will manifest myself to him. He that heareth my words and doeth them shall be like a man that built his house on a rock. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Rather, blessed are they that hear the word of the Lord and keep it. Be not uh, merely hearers, but doers of the word. And the great commission I have asked all over America, I have read it and purposely left out two words and then asked the congregation, how many know what two words are left out? And I never get over half a dozen hands up. 
I don't know whether they were asleep or thinking about something else when I was reading it or not, but I've been amazed these years. And those two words are the words to observe. Now, somehow we can just slide right over that any day in the week. We're not sent out just for the dissemination of information. We are to teach all things commanded, yes. But teach what? Teach them to do it. Teaching them to observe all things commanded. Finney used to have a great sermon on uh, revival, and he said, and this is his definition of revival, and there isn't a bit of hooping and hollering and foot stomping or all the rest in it. He simply said, Revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. Now that sounds humdrum almost, but that's what it is. When people get right with God and get right with each other and start keeping the commandments and doing the will of God, that's revival, whether there's much excitement, and there will be, there'll be emotion, yes. You get into the will of God and start doing it, and there'll be emotion, there'll be joy, and all the rest of it. But friends, it's a practical thing. We need to restructure our thinking about the country and the church both. We've had enough oratory and celebration. It's time to be Americans. The word American is a noun and an adjective both. We say so-and-so's an American, that's a noun. We say he's an American man, that's an adjective. Well, the same thing's true of the word Christian. We need more Christian Christians. We need more adjective Christians. Christians who are Christian in the way they think and in the way they live. Jesus did not say, be the salt of the earth. He said, that's what you are. He didn't say, be the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say, be my witnesses. He said, that's what you are. And if we ever see a real work of God again, it'll be by a persecuted minority scorning the values of this world and living by rigid discipline. We have a lot of soldiers in our churches that are good at the dress parade. They're out for the medals, but not for the scars. There's too much Americanism today and too much Christianity that's like those Reubenites had in the days of Deborah and Barak. While everybody else was fighting, they abode by the sheepfolds playing their little flutes, the Hebrew uh, background tells us, making little flutes out of the reeds by the waterside and entertaining themselves, and never heard the trumpet called to battle. My soul, how many we have in all the churches today are just doing that. I sometimes listen to a Sunday morning crowd, and you know how they can sing it without the slightest notion on earth what most of them are singing. But they're saying, onward, Christian soldiers, the Son of God goes forth to war. And I feel like saying, hold it! I feel like going down through the crowds here and now. That's nice, but uh, now just what battles have you been in? Been in any Gettysburgs? Tell me about it. Amy Carmichael's right. You haven't followed Jesus far if you have no wound, no scar. You've not been along the road very far. Back in the winter, I spent 10 weeks in Florida preaching and it wasn't good sense. I haven't quite recovered from eight or nine weeks of preaching every night and often through the day, and uh, I don't recommend it. Uh, I keep forgetting that I'm in my 70s, not in my 50s. And I went for 10 days to Shell Point at Fort Myers, 
The Christian and Missionary Alliance has a retirement place there that is a dream. I imagine somebody here has been there, and it is the most beautiful thing. And it's, uh, I, I, uh, the weather was perfect, everything seemed perfect, the preacher was so good as to say, now come and be our guest for a week, don't do a thing, then you preach for four nights in the church uh, the next week. And I met some amazing people, and one of them was General Wilbur, who was on the staff of George Patton uh, in the war, the Second World War. And that old general, I had preached a sermon about the country and the church, and he kind of liked it, and he came and spent an afternoon with me. He was 88. He's known every president since Theodore Roosevelt. And you talk about a mine of information. I just kept him going. I didn't have anything to tell when I listened to him. But he told one story that got me. He said it was in the Battle of Normandy. And Patton and I were standing talking when here came 30-odd boys who'd been all shot up, and some of them died shortly. And Patton went over to him and said, How are you, fellows? And everyone who could, who could get his hand up to his head saluted. And all of them said, Fine, General. And some of them were to die in just a little while. He said, Patton and I walked down the road a little, and he never said a word. And I never said a word forever so far. And finally, I looked out of the corner of my eyes, and the tears were coursing down his cheeks. They called him old blood and guts, but that got him. And when I heard that, I couldn't shake that off for a while. I said, well, I don't know. Are we growing that kind of boys now in America, I wonder? Of course, if the next war is nuclear, we won't have time to find out. But I wonder what kind of Christians are we growing? Christmas and Easter Christians, Sunday morning Christians, fair weather Christians. Long ago an old warrior wrote to a young recruit, and said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now there was an old veteran who was all shot up, five times beaten, 39 stripes, three times beaten with rods, one time stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift in the deep, perils of waters of robbers by my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils of the city, perils of the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils of false brethren, weariness, painfulness, watchings, often hunger, thirst, fasting, cold, and nakedness, and beside all that, the care of the churches, and that's enough to kill anybody, just the care of some churches. And yet, I think that when that old warrior sat in a Roman jail, not writing his memoirs in a villa on the French Riviera, but sitting in a dingy Roman jail, waiting to have his head chopped off, and saying to Timothy, bring my old coat and my books down here, this old damp dungeon's getting my arthritis and my bursitis and my neuritis. You bring that old cloak down here. But I think if God had called over the parapets of heaven and said, How you doing, Paul? I believe that old warrior would have said, Fine, General. Fine, Lord. I've been faithful to the faith, I've been faithful to the fight, and I've been faithful to the finish. 
When you're faithful to all three, that's a pretty good record. Beloved, let me say to you tonight, the test of this whole business is not whether you're just a good soldier when the bands are all playing and the bugles are all blowing and the flags are all waving, but the real test is whether when the fighting is the hottest and your companions are killed around you and you're battling with the stub of a sword and you've been shell-shocked and wounded and deserted and all men have forsaken you, if you ever get to such a place, can you still salute and say everything's fine, Lord? One of the chaplains on Corregidor with MacArthur complimented the great general on coming to every service. But he said, the general answered me and said, Chaplain, I'm the commanding general. I, they call me a four-star general. But one of these days I'll not be here. I shall have gone the way of all flesh here today and gone tomorrow. But chaplain, you are not serving that kind of general. You're serving uh, not a, an ordinary four-star general. You're serving the seven-star general described in the book of Revelation who is alive evermore with seven stars in his hand and whose kingdom endures forever, chaplain, don't ever forget that. Now, that's the general we have. And I wonder whether we're ready to say everything's fine, general. Because the fight's not going to be long. The strife will not be long. Today the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. And it's a strange war we're in because the victory has been won back at this end of the battle. We've already had our Waterloo. It was one at Calvary in the open grave. Uh, but Dr. Torrey said it, and he said it mighty well. There is a rest of faith, but there's also a fight of faith in prayer as well as in effort. Those who would have us think they have attained some sublime height of faith and trust because they never know the agony of conflict or prayer have gotten beyond their Lord and beyond some of the mightiest heroes of the faith that this world's ever known. I get a little suspicious of these folks that are forever on the mountaintop, and don't have any whys and don't have any problems, and uh, don't even feel like old Jeremiah when he certainly said something perfectly awful to God one time. Will you be unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? But I do know this, beloved, uh, this bicentennial should have been, I hope it was, I, I don't know, a time of renewed pledges of allegiance. It's about time. There are too many faded documents and declarations lying around that have grown dim. That old Declaration of Independence is barely legible in spite of all their efforts to try to preserve it. Even John Hancock's bold signature is getting a little dimmer. But the worst of it is not the fading of a paper. We're forgetting the original intent and the ultimate purpose. We need some new editions of the Declaration of Independence bound in human flesh. And then there are too many marriage certificates lying around that have lost their significance. And even among fundamental Christians sometimes. I heard of two old folks sitting in a retirement home some time ago and she couldn't hear well and he thought he'd cheer her up a little bit and he said, I'm proud of you. And she said, hey... 
He said, I said, I'm proud of you. She said, I, I didn't get it. He said, I'm proud of you. And she said, I'm tired of you, too. <laughs> now, I hope it's not like that with anybody here tonight. After all, we had a million divorces in 1975. Do you know that? A million? Soon every other marriage will end in disaster. And I, I would say tonight to husbands and wives who still thank God are together, I say out of three years of the other side of the story, and you probably have heard me say it or read it in something I've written, you never miss the water till the well goes dry. And if you sit beside that dear one tonight, maybe there ought to be a renewing of that marriage certificate, a fresh signature, renewing the covenant, because if you neglect it, and thank God I didn't, I could have done a sight better, but I didn't neglect it, but if you do, There'll come a time when you give every blessed thing you have materially for just any old day that you did have. And some of them you thought maybe were rather humdrum. I hope I don't speak to somebody here tonight, even a Christian who's, who's taking, taking somebody for granted. And Christians can do that. And then I think we've got a lot of church covenants that don't mean anything. They paste them in the back of hymn books and so on. Any other organization that had no more loyalty to its founder, no more joy in its program, and used as much raw material and turned out as poor a finished product as the average church today would be out of business. If I were a non-Christian and dropped into the average church today where they were trying to have a revival, a handful of church members trying to recruit some more to join the army of the Lord when most of the outfit they already had had gone AWOL. <laughs> I think I'd say either Christianity is not what it's supposed to be or else we've been sold a cheap brand and inoculated with a mild form till we've been immunized against the real thing. Joel said, Lord, I'm tired of the pagans going by saying, where's your God? I've heard about the God of Abraham and Jacob. Where is he? Where's your God? They're doing it today. It ought to embarrass us. It embarrassed Joel. And I move from church to church, and some of them with their feeble ceremonies moving corpses from one mortician to another, just swapping memberships, preaching a dynamite gospel and living firecracker lives. And I feel like saying, let's be what we claim to be or take down our sign. And there are altars of dedication that need to be rebuilt. We're too much at home in this world. There has never been a culture since Christianity began where a New Testament Christian could feel at home. Never. There never will be. Because this world will never accept Jesus Christ. It will not even tolerate him. It crucified him then and would do it again. And in a sense is doing it all the time. And oh, how many preachers. I'm preaching more to preachers now than ever in my life. I've been in the ministry 63 years. And 
I've seen a lot of them rise and a lot of them fall. And I remember what Dr. Schofield said. He said, I used to have prayer with Moody, and I never had prayer with Moody in my life, but that Moody would always say and terrify me, Lord, renew Schofield's commission. He said, I got under conviction about that. Now, a preacher or any church worker, any Christian worker can do one of three things. You can resign. Anybody can do that. Or you can become resigned to the status quo and put up with things that you ought to take a stand about. Or you can be re-signed with the stamp of God from above. And the way to gather all of this up into one move is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And when you do make Jesus Christ Lord, you will be the American you ought to be, and you will be the citizen you ought to be, and you will be the church member and the husband and the father and the mother and the young person and the businessman or the preacher or anything else that you ought to be. But don't forget that this business of making Jesus Lord is a, it must be visible before man. Jesus Christ never encouraged this sneaking kind of a confession of faith. He made him come out like the woman that touched him in the crowd. He made her testify to it publicly. Whoso shall confess me before man, it must not only be visible, it must be audible, with the mouth. Oh, you say, I never say anything about it, and I don't believe in giving a public testimony. If you believe that God raised him from the dead and confess it with the mouth, if you believe it with your heart, what happens to you? You shall be saved. It's just that simple. And it must not only be visible and audible, it must be credible with the heart, because if it isn't from the heart, it's a waste of time. I hope that tonight you won't go out of here comfortably saying, I move we accept this as information and be dismissed. What are we going to do about what we know to do? I hope this message hasn't gone in one ear and out the other. And even in Ben Lippin, it is always worthwhile to ask a congregation who's supposed to be pretty well steeped in the Word and thank God for them, but and we're never out of order when even here we ask, are you dead certain and sure that Jesus Christ is not only your Savior but your Lord? Because it is my firm conviction that anybody who will accept him as Savior and reject him willfully and knowingly as Lord is still not saved. And if you mean business about it, Remember that uh, there's a verse that everybody never finishes when they quote it. I've listened and listened for years at people giving that verse. Well, the Bible says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. But that's not where it stops. Deceiving your own selves. That's what makes it so bad. There's only one thing worse than not coming to church, and that is coming and not doing anything about it. Because you have exposed yourself to the Word of God, and you have a fresh responsibility when you go out that you didn't have when you came in. 
You've heard it, and if you don't do it, you are self-deceived. And I shudder to think how much self-deception there is even among good people today. I get under conviction myself again and again at how lightly we take these profound things. And I beg you in God's name that this week we shall redeem this precious time by not being too generous. There's one thing I don't want you to be generous with, and that's with my sermon. Don't give it away to somebody else. Keep it and apply it to your own heart and life and let the other fellow get it for himself. And tomorrow night, pray for me and pray for me this week as we try to get down to where we live. I want to talk one night on all this and heaven too. And why? And I hope you'll keep singing every night. I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, I asked him tonight, could he do it? And he said, that's what I'm going to sing. Now, you talk about collaboration without any getting together on it. That's what that was. The good Lord in this. And so I believe we'll have a blessed time. Now I'm going to let you go and get your Saturday night rest and get ready for the Lord's Day. Let us stand, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for every good thing about this land of ours, the rich heritage that we have here. We pray that Thou will create in our hearts a deeper respect for all that's good in America. Help us to be better Americans and help us to be better Christians, Lord. Remember that uh, we ought to be adjective Christians, Christian Christians, and impress us afresh with the tremendous weight of thy statement. Uh, not simply ye shall know the truth, but if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Make us to be good by the Holy Spirit at patient continuance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.